I refer to Talent Chooses You as a philosophy book, which of course sounds insanely pompous, and I know that. No, I don't wear the saffron robes. No, I will not let you call me a guru. Um, but it is a philosophy book because it's a philosophy book not in I know how to think smarter than you do because that's not really how that is. A philosophy book exists to change your perspective. The reason you read a book of philosophy, go to Plato's The Cave. Let's go way back, right? The cave is all there to kind of help you say, oh, these things you see, these things you think you understand, maybe you don't not, maybe you don't understand the whole picture. Maybe you're not getting everything you need. Maybe you need to understand why you perceive what you perceive and look around. I mean, okay, that's a gross and disgusting distillation of one of the most foundational books in modern philosophy. Uh, you know, in human philosophy, uh, <laughs> but there it is. But that's what it is. A book of philosophy is there to help you go, wait, maybe I need to think this differently. And that's really what this is about. Talent Chooses You is a philosophy book. And one of the big ideas, we've already talked about quality versus quantity, which again, I, I will bang and, and that is a hill I will die on over and over and over again if you let me. You shouldn't because it should be pretty obvious once you see it. But one of the other changes is that recruiting should not be left to recruiters. That's a weird thing to say, and I know it. But we're going to dive into this idea that by giving and siloing and ghettoizing recruiting to quote-unquote talent acquisition recruiting only and making it solely their purview, you are shooting, the business is shooting itself in the foot. And that's what we're going to talk about today on this edition, this chapter of Talent Chooses You, the audiobook, 2.0, the son, the daughter, the revenge, the return, when we get back. So just as a reminder, this is the audiobook version of Talent Chooses You. This is what season two of the Talent Cast is all about, sponsored by, brought to you by the one and only recruitmentmarketing.com. It is a community for recruitment marketing professionals brought to you by Recruitics. Go take a look at it. It's recruitmentmarketing.com. Thank you so much to recruitmentmarketing.com for sponsoring the whole season, not just this episode. They're, if it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be doing this, quite simply. Uh, they really gave a, they're really making this project happen. So I thank them. Thank you so much. So let's talk about chapter two of the book. What we refer to as what I refer to, I guess is what I wrote, is let's do it better this time. Why employer branding is the best way to reinvent your hiring. Why did you get out of bed this morning? Why did you wear that outfit? Why did you show up to that job? Why that kind of coffee? Why that kind of lunch? How did you decide what to watch when you got home? What did you do instead of now, instead of five minutes ago? Why did you choose to go home at this second? And why did you choose to watch that show before you went to bed? Why is the question of our age? It's really been the question for a long time, but it's not until you built a larger ecosystem in which we have the information and the resources to really start to get beyond the how do we stay warm and how do we avoid the saber-toothed tiger and how do we make sure we're fed and how do we make sure our base needs are being met from a Maslowian hierarchical kind of need, right? For those of you flashing back to your 10th grade health class. Um, why is where it's at? Since we figured out relatively easily, more so than our forefathers or foremothers or ancestors before them, um, how to 
put clothes on our back, how to stay warm, how to stay alive, how to stay fed, how to provide for our families, the next question in the, the, the hierarchy of need is to, to start to figure out satisfaction. Now, in Maslow's world, that's the, the pinnacle of that hierarchy, and that's may or may not be completely accurate, and I'm not here to quibble with a man who's been dead for a very long time. Um, but today, <laughs> I'll quibble with dead people all day long. It's my podcast. I get to do what I want. Um, but it is about the why. Why do we do what we do? Why make these choices? Our worlds are filled with f- seemingly infinite choices. We have abundant resources. We have the options. It's a world of technology that our parents think is magic, all, you know, all but. And, you know, hey, we live in a world where every song, show, movie, article, book, idea, it's at our beck and call in seconds. It's, it, you, you have to just type in Akio book and it appears, you know, Harry Potter style, right? It's magic. You can do anything. You can see anything. You can read anything. You can be anything. Right? We're looking at a world in which people get to choose their gender. This is not something we thought of re- up until very recently. The ch- level of choice is functionally infinite. But if you can do anything, then what you choose to do isn't based on constraints, but it's based on your wants, which is really, really different. If you grew up in the 1950s and you were living in, oh, let's take the state of Chicago and you were black, there were very, very specific things you were allowed to do and a whole lot of things you weren't. (laughs) And even if you chose to do things that you were allowed to do, you got paid a lot less than people who might have done it otherwise. Someone who's white, perhaps, right? If you're a woman in the 30s, you had a very different set of choices than a man in the 30s, right? You had constraints. You picked from what was available to you. If I grew up, I'm thinking back to my father. My father grew up, um, born and raised in Cuba, but that's, you know, he was a, you know, he was an American in Cuba before Castro showed up and raised in Florida and he had choices. He went to college and he could choose to do some things and he made some choices based on the opportunities and options available to him. Could he have become a fireman? Eh, Maybe. Could he become an astronaut? Probably not. He wears glasses. Uh, Could he have become... Uh, a cop, maybe I don't. But he was a hippie. He would never have done that. His constra- he was constrained by what he could do, and he made the choices within the constraints he was allowed. We live in a world where those constraints are going away, and that's not just based upon what do you want to do with your life and feel satisfied, which of course comes with its own kind of barrels full of fear and uncertainty and what if I'm choosing wrong and what am I doing with my life and the existential crisis that seem to live in everybody's Instagram feed right now. We're not talking about that. We're talking about what you choose to do in a job and why do we choose anything really like that? Understanding that why, understanding the why we choose, what motivates us. And I think motivation is an important word because we're going to talk about motivations a couple of chapters down the road. But understand why we choose to get on that diet. Why do we choose to do that exercise? Why do we choose to watch this show and not that show? The why helps us understand who we are, but it also understands what you can offer someone to get them to want to choose you, right? This is the secret of connecting with talent. It's about how you get them to work for you. We talked earlier about the, uh, the Oprah uh, example, 
the best of the best is not trolling job boards. They can choose almost anywhere. They have more options, even if they don't want to move to New York or San Francisco or wherever. If they choose to be remote, they still have more choices because they're great talent and they can choose where they want to go. You have to figure out what you can offer them that they want. Now, you've heard the, the old story about the two stonemasons right? They're, they're, they're at work and someone walks by and he asks the first stonemason, what are you doing? And, and he says, I'm building a wall. And the guy goes to the next stonemason and says, what are you doing? And he says, and it's always said this way, I'm building a cathedral, right? You notice the change in tone of voice. That's just always how the joke gets told. And it's not really a joke. It's a, it's a, I don't know, an aphorism. I don't know. It's a saying, it's a thought, it's an idea. What are you going to do? Um, it's this idea that the person who thinks they're building a cathedral is doing a better job than the person who's simply doing the task at hand, right? If you know that this is a wall that exists purely to separate that space from that space and you think, well, it doesn't have to bear much weight. It doesn't have to do much. No one's going to touch it. No one's going to sit on it. I can do just enough to kind of keep the wall up and that's fine. But if you think you're creating something that's sacred or holy, you're gonna do a better job. You're gonna spend a little more time making sure the stone sits just right, that you're creating these level edges, that you're that you're not leaning one way or the other. You're gonna tidy up your workspace. You're gonna do the little bit extra to make sure that everything's right. Because to you, it's not just some wall, it's something important. The why isn't just a thing in our head, it's the it drives the output. This is really important stuff, right? The person with the stronger why is gonna be associated with the job and more professionally satisfied with the outcome. They're gonna be thrilled. They're gonna, you know, in the stonemason aphorism, whatever, they're gonna drive by this building 30 years from now and you know, toss all their kids' hair and say, I helped build that thing, that amazing cathedral, and they're gonna feel pride in that. Whereas the person who built a wall is going to forget they built that darn building at all, right? Are they doing it for a paycheck? Why are they breaking their back? Is it just the purpose of doing the thing to put just enough food to keep life and sustenance happening? Or are they doing something more? And I think the cathedral story is interesting because both jobs get paid the same. Whether you think you're building a cathedral or think you're building a wall, you're laying stone on top of stone with some sort of mortar or grout in the middle, you're doing the same job. The pay is the same. In fact, the person who's being more specific and careful with it might actually get paid less because it's taking them a little longer to do the job and maybe you're being paid by the job and so maybe there's some sort of incentive to make haste, to do it faster. That's how you build more, build more jobs and, and make more money. It's not about the money though. It's about the reason why. And it's not just some old parable. It's a reminder that the why drives us every single day. It drives our work. It drives our relationships. It drives our life. It is why we do and how we do what we do. But so often we forget its power when it comes to bringing the best talent to go to our business. We spend the time and energy and money attracting people to a role. We train them, we measure their performance, and we assume that they're going to show up for the paycheck? Great talent says they want more. They say it all the time in a million different ways. But we don't ever ask them what would make them happier. We just 
assume it's all about money and throw more money at them. I mean, that's functionally what all the best developers in the Valley, you know, say they want. They want more money, but do they really? Money is just their way of measuring their worth and measuring their value. It's a way of saying, I'm a better coder than you are. But is that what they really want? Would they take a 5% pay cut to do work that mattered to them? I don't know. Have we asked? We might talk a good game about providing the support of being a family, which I think is a horrible, horrible, I'm so glad it's becoming kind of like pointed at and derided, this idea of a family. No, it's, it's, it's a company. It's a team. It's, it's something, but don't call it a family unless you're firing your cousin on a semi-regular basis. You know, we want to, we say we want to move mountains together, but when the chips are down, we look at the compensation and benefits team to squeeze more cash to make more value, right? Every time we need more from our people, we know that we have to go to the money situation, but that's not what it's about. We're not working for a paycheck. The paycheck is going to happen. Anybody who's talented gets to choose where they want to go. And anyone who can't choose won't make a meaningful difference in your bottom line. So consequently, you have to start thinking about what does the talent want beyond money, because it's not about the money, and offer it to them. Now, I'm going to take a side note because this is a pet peeve of mine. Um, and this is what I, I, think, I can't remember if I talk about this in a book, but I'll get to it. Whatever. You can hear it twice. It's important stuff. Um, the idea is that if you go to LinkedIn and you're friends with a lot of recruiters, as I am, even the great ones are still saying, join me, or we're hiring, or I'm looking for a blank, and they look for a title. They all sound the same. And they all sound the same in the exact same way. This is what I want. I'm hiring. Join me. Me, 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 me great talent. Oprah doesn't, and I apologize for this ahead of time, doesn't care about you. <laughs> Oprah cares about Oprah and people she can help, but not in the way that she's going to help a recruiter. Oprah cares about what Oprah cares about. Great recruiters are the ones who write postings who talk about, this is what you're going to get. And it's not going to be about we're a high paying salary. It's going to be about imagine the satisfaction of building X or Y or Z. Imagine being surrounded by people who are going to push you to perform. Um, and I use imagine because it's a good kind of way to kickstart a different way of thinking about it. But imagine a job you look forward to instead of having this, the Sunday scaries. Those job postings on LinkedIn are going to perform better, not by a more people will look at them necessarily, but in a the talent you want will see that and engage far more than we're hiring. Spoiler, everybody's hiring. Yes, everyone. Have you seen LinkedIn and Indeed? Everyone is hiring. Everyone's projected to double their staff in the next two or three years. Everyone. Everyone is hiring all the time, 24-7. There's no such thing as, a, if that company's not hiring, they're dying. So anyway, they're, everyone is hiring. Saying you're hiring is like saying, hi, I breathe. Cool, that's good for you. How does that impact me? I also want to point out that I never notice salespeople go on LinkedIn and saying, I'm selling. <laughs> but that's what recruiters do. I'm recruiting for this job. Salespeople don't start off by saying, hey, I'm selling widgets or I'm selling software or I'm selling. No, 
most of them have figured out that nobody cares what they're selling. What they care about is what the selling gets them, what that product, what that service gets the customer. They talk about, here is the problem I'm solving. So at least salespeople get that. And there's a, a lesson we could be stealing from sales and marketing, but we don't, sadly. But anyway, this is my high horse. Stop saying we're hiring. Stop saying I'm looking for a blank. It's no one cares about that. What you need to start thinking about is why. Why would they engage with you? Why would they talk to you? It's not because you're hiring because, again, like I said, everybody's hiring. It's not because they want to join you because they don't know you. They don't care that you're looking for a new senior nurse. They don't care that you're looking for a director of sales. They don't care. If they cared, they'd have gone on the job board and found that post anyway. They didn't need you to say that, right? But if you start to engage the why, it's going to be a different conversation. We need to ask our employees why they want to work there, why they choose to work there. Every morning they wake up and they, whether they commute by walking to their dining room or commute by going in a bus or a car or a train or a boat, I don't care, but they choose every day to show up. They make that choice. Why? Again, if they can go anywhere, why? And if you don't understand that why, you're in trouble. We need to ask leadership why the business exists. We need to ask managers why they hire who they hire. We need to ask the candidates why they choose to apply or didn't apply. We need to dig up the why because that is the grist for the mill. That is the coin of the realm. The more you understand a given why for whether it's a, a role or a management or a hire manager or a customer or a candidate, the more you understand someone's why, the better you are going to be able to help them simple as that, okay? Once you start to dig it up, you're going to understand people's motivations, what makes them more productive, what makes them happier, what motivations you support and reward. You're going to understand how to have a better understand, you know, a better conversation with the kind of people you want to hire or should hire and what you can say that are going to thrill them. You don't want people, we're going to talk about this in a minute, you don't want people who will work for you. You want people who want to work for you. You don't want people who want a job. You want people who want this job. I said that right. Employer brand ultimately helps you get past decades of recruiting processes and HR structures that realize that business success starts with why. Just hold up, my friends. I did not say talent success. I did not say recruiting success. I said business success. Business success starts with the why. It's what gives you the power to change cultures, to change businesses, to change relationships, communication structures, org charts. It allows you to create change. It allows you to compete and win against any other business. I don't care if you're a tiny little startup. You can compete against Facebook and Google be, despite the fact that you don't offer their salaries or have the same brand recognition. You just have to tap into the why. Not just your why, but their why and line them up. You do that, you're in a great spot. And yeah, that sounds like a lot, but it is something you can do starting right now. The world's best known investor and Wall Street expert, Warren Buffett, once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. 
Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel. Change your perspective. The fundamental shift being brought about by employer branding thinking isn't just that we get to use marketing tools to attract applicants. That's kind of how it was sold 15 years ago, 10 years ago. Cool, we get to use HubSpot now. Yeah, back it up here. Ooh, we get to buy lots of programmatic ads and spam the bejesus out of everybody. Mm, mm, hold up there, kids, hold up. It's not about that. It's not about making cool ads. It's not about using sexy terms like brand architecture, though frankly, is there a sexier term? I don't think so. Uh, maybe experience marketing. No, it's, I like brand architecture myself. The real change of employer branding is that it shifts our perspective on how we see hiring. It's kind of like those videos you see of babies putting, putting, having glasses putting on them for the first time, and they're kind of in the I don't and they go oh, and the glasses kind of hit, and they go holy crap, I can see. I'm sure a baby doesn't say holy crap, but if a baby could say holy crap, they'd say holy crap, I can see, right? That's what employer branding is for me. And that's what it's all, to me, when it's done well, it makes everybody go, holy crap, I can see. All the stuff that's been standing in front of them, the stuff that they've been ignoring, the stuff that they've been told and trained and taught was fine and acceptable. Holy crap, I can see, right? We need to change the process. We need to change the perspective. But today, I guess you gotta have to ask who's the question of who's in charge? Who's in charge of hiring? Who's responsible for bringing new talent to the door? Well, recruiting, obviously, but think back to any great hire you've ever helped make, whether you were the hiring manager or the recruiter or whatever. Did the recruiter scope the job? Did they determine the level or the title? I mean, the chances are they didn't even write the job posting. Chances are they didn't decide how to market the job. When a candidate came to the ATS, how much flexibility and leeway are the recruiters given to spot and present interesting prospects who aren't exactly a match, right? To say, hey, this person doesn't quite fit, but they're going to be game changers. Of course they didn't because they don't have that kind of time, right? Um, can a recruiter stop an executive scandal from getting out? Did a recruiter control who was or wasn't on the interview loop to ensure that a female candidate would have at least see one woman in the interviewing loop, right? For example, did the recruiter sit in every part of the interview to make sure the hiring manager wasn't distracted by their phone and was engaged with the candidate and asked good questions or that the same questions weren't asked over and over and over again by the fourth hiring manager, the fourth interview loop? And, and when they decide to facilitate the conversation or the negotiation, do recruiters have any kind of negotiating power? Every single thing on this list creates, shapes, and determines how successful the recruiter can be in hiring but the recruiter has no power over any of them. Flip the script. The HRBP responsible for the number of applicants? No, they, they, no, they, they're not responsible for that. They're not measured on that. No one says, hey, HRBP, you didn't level this job right. We didn't get enough applications. That's your fault. Never happens. 
Is the comp team ever evaluated by the time to fill? I mean, if you pay twice as much, will the time to fill go down? Yeah. But are they measured on that? No. Is the hiring manager ever shown the dashboard that their quality of hire scores are lower than standard? Hey, hiring managers, you're hiring the wrong people. You're evaluating people incorrectly. You're bringing in people who don't last more than 12 minutes, but everybody else seems to be doing it right. What are you doing wrong? No, that's not, they're not hired. They're not fired for that. They're not measured on that. There's no KPI for them. Recruiting is a huge part of hiring, but we can't lean on them when hiring isn't going well because they can't fix the problem. Certainly not by themselves. Recruiting is a system. And I, I love the word system myself. If you ever want to get into systems thinking, or at least just read the first two chapters of, of Peter Singh's, or Singhi, I think is how it's pronounced, uh, The Fifth Discipline. There's a thing called the beer story. It just is going to blow your mind. It's a thing you see every day, but you don't always realize what you're seeing. And it helps you kind of see that you may think it's a straight line between what you do and what the outcome is, but it's all about the larger system. And recruiting is absolutely a system. Instead of seeing recruiting as the driver for hiring, employer brand gives us the chance to step back and see hiring as something the entire company is responsible for. Yes, the entire company hires. Even though the recruiter is kind of facilitating that process, they aren't in charge of it all. Every part of the company has some impact on hiring. But if we keep pushing the recruiter button every time we have a talent need, we're never going to solve the problem, right? It's like blaming the waiter for the food not tasting right. They might be your contact point, but they didn't season the dish. They didn't cook it. They're just there to work with what they got, right? Um, you need to see that employer branding isn't an illness, but a means to seeing the larger system, to seeing the bigger picture, to understanding the challenges that might be there. You got to know that, yeah, you can have the best recruiters in the world, but if they're recruiting for a company that doesn't pay well, that is seen poorly, that is working towards the systematic destruction of, oh, I don't know, democracy. And by the way, Facebook is suddenly having to pay a premium to hire because no one wants to have Facebook as a logo on their resume, right? This is one of the top companies. They print money. They pay more than almost anybody in the known universe. And yet suddenly, because of the last year or two's worth of scandals, it's hard to bring people in. That's not on recruiters. That's not even on employer brand. That's on the company. So if you just assume recruiting is for recruiters and that's all that matters, you're going to try and solve the problem of the busted down car by a swapping out a tire. Hey, have you checked the engine? That might be the bigger problem. But as recruiters, as employer branders, we are asked to stay in our lane, to stay in the space, to not go and fix things, right? I have seen plenty of examples where recruiters are, you know, gently maybe, but they're handed their head when they try and say, hey, we're going to apply some, some very strict and straightforward service level agreements with our hiring managers. Hiring managers don't want to hear that. Hey, you're the recruiter. You go hire. You make this happen. You figure it out. Even though we all know that the hiring managers have a bigger impact on hiring and who you hire and how you hire and how quickly you hire, oftentimes than the recruiter does. But they don't want to hear that. It's not part of their day job. It's not what they're measured by. It's not what they're, you know, there's no KPIs around it for them, right? 
We've all seen high, the hiring managers that complain the most are the ones who invariably are not filling out the interview feedback forms ever, right? Is that, is that a fair assessment? Ask your recruiter friends. Ask them if their biggest pains in the butt rec- uh, hire managers are the ones who are doing the heavy lifting or the ones who just assume recruiters are going to do all the work and don't engage. You'll find out pretty quick. Look, singers are going to sing and dancers are going to dance. Recruiters are going to do what recruiters are going to do. They're, they, they're people people. They're going to go work the people. That, and that's what we pay them for. That's what we ask them to do. It's what they excel at. But as we measure them and how many roles they fill and their time to fill, they're incentivized to look at the problems of hiring the same old way. In a lot of reasons, the reasons we're kind of backed up into this cul-de-sac of bad hiring is because we've applied bad KPIs and bad metrics to recruiters who do not have the time or skill sets per se to think about these problems differently. That said, as an aside, most recruiters who are really good They see these problems too. They have ideas on how to fix them, but because they're overwhelmed with wrecks and because the answer is faster, 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 harder, 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 they don't have the time to explore or consider. They don't have the perspective to say, ooh, I know what tool will solve this problem. They can't solve it because they've been asked to create it, this problem, right? If you ask most recruiters to solve the hiring problems, Without shifting their perspective, their answer is going to be, we need more recruiters. Oh, I don't know. Let's increase salaries for the, hire, for the new roles that we're hiring. That'll make things easier. Which again, it's, it's not fixing the system. You're just making the train wreck happen faster, right? The problems that keep you from hiring better talent aren't too few recruiters or bad tools. A great company that really leverages employer branding thinking, and that's important, not just leverages a strong employer brand, but employs employer brand thinking, can hire great people without an army of recruiters. They solve the problem by seeing the situation differently. They are going to see things from a bigger perspective, solve them from a higher elevation, and not focus on how do I magically make everything better, but how do I start to influence the business to leverage more of the business to think about hiring? All right. When we next, when I see you next week, what are we going to talk about next week? Ooh, we're going to start talking about the recruiting funnel and how much it's the worst. And we're going to completely reinvent that. So that'll be fun. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks again for recruitmentmarketing.com for sponsoring this. They are the community for recruitment marketing professionals. Go check them out. It's recruitmentmarketing.com. Otherwise, if you want to listen to my newsletter or go read my newsletter, go to employerbrand.news and sign up. It shows up every Monday. Otherwise, I will see you next week on this podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for telling a friend. Thanks so much for subscribing. See you next week. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. 
Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.